0: Italy are through, top of
1: Group A, Wales will go with them, will Switzerland, that's what's going to play out over the next couple of days on Op the Sport and we'll be discussing that and so much more on today's episode of The Ganga Let's get into it.
0: And it's tucked in, extremely well by Pessina.
1: Yeah, group A is done, that group is done. We know Italy are through, Wales are with them and to dissect it this morning we've got Oh, I can say an all-star cast once again, but a cast of journalisters, Nick Stoll, Jake Rosengarden, welcome back. So, the Jake Rosengarden.
2: We got there in the end. We? we got that there. Uh, That's how it's said, yes. <laughs> and a
1: big welcome to the Gagapod today, and to Daylight Hours, to our Director of Sport and host, Richard Bayless. Good to see you, mate. Good to see you on the Gagapod
3: once again. Thank you, Dave. I feel like I should be wearing sunglasses inside at this point of the tournament, but we'll hold off Do you any idea what you're doing at this hour? Uh, not really, but uh, certainly enjoying it. That's for a start. It's been fantastic to this point. And now that the fixtures are happening side-by-side, side, simultaneous games, you get that sort of burst of energy because there's more games to look at, more screens, and I think it, you know you sort of sense the end of the group stage it's about to really ramp up too.
1: Now, Nick, you're fresh on the Gagapod scene in the last couple of weeks. Rich has come back in today. Are we expecting him to be more of a David Alaba kind of repositioning or more of a Kieran Tierney kind of positioning? And be, be very careful with your answer.
4: No, I, I think <laughs> I think very David Alaba because he spreads himself in lots of different positions. He can play, you know, he can play the host, he can play the guest, you know, the EP role as well. So I'm looking forward to it. But it's also with, you know, two of my bosses here. It's a little bit of a performance <laughs> review for me. But how about the
3: rotations games? from the gaffer Dave Wiener? He's, he's really utilising that squad depth there, isn't he? Well, at this point, you have to in a tournament. But uh, chances are, if I'm the Alaba role, I'll be giving away a spot kick at some point. (laughs) Yeah, that was... Slightly mistimed, I reckon. That
1: was a very loaded question and you you tiptoed around it very nicely. So, let's kick off with Italy 1, Wales 0. A game that didn't reach any particular heights, but Nick um, told us a lot about the... The squad depth of the Azzurri and the harmony and team spirit that Roberto Mancini has created in this really exciting squad.
4: Yeah, I mean, if anything, it was a 1 0 hammering. I think it was 23 shots to 3. Um, it, it shows, you know, they have so much depth. And we were talking about it yesterday, you know, are they going to make rotations? And they did. They brought in lots of new players. Verratti got a lot of good minutes and looked really good. And now there's a question of how, is he going to be playing in the round of 16? Because their midfield has looked fantastic without him. But it, it was a, a really another good performance from Italy. I'm feeling very good about my pre-tournament tip for them to win it, so uh, it looks really good, but I thought it was um, there's some really cool uh, moments, Mancini even uh, sending on the goalkeeper, mm. Sirigu to get on, apparently that is because in 1990 he was a player with Italy, but he didn't get on the pitch at all, and he, he wants everyone to have that moment, even one minute to get on the pitch, so a nice little moment there for um, Sirigu.
3: That's that man management human touch that Mancini is really starting to bring to the forward this side absolutely well he's played so many players across the journey now 30 games now three of them in this tournament without conceding it was different to the first couple because it had to be because there are eight changes personnel wise but you can see that the system works everybody's on the same page young players coming in you know you've got the variety question but it's a great problem to have I mean he if he comes in for anyone it's probably the guy who most were expecting to be their talisman to a point in Nicola Barella before the tournament but the fact he played 90, maybe he just knows that he won't bring him back in, but it, it almost doesn't matter because the way they've played to this point, they're a team that just have so much harmony. You say it was a 1-0 hammering, and it absolutely was, but Gareth Bale's miss, I still don't know how he missed the opportunity he got. And when you look at it, and John Aloisi broke it down on the post-match show today on Brekkie Rap, he... It's a phenomenal set piece from Wales, and he's spurned a massive chance. They'll need to take those in the knockout stage if they're to do anything more.
1: I think he was almost the victim of Italy's dominance. Though. I don't think he could believe the chance that had been presented, because it just was so against the run of play. Um, there was a moment, Jake, while uh, you were on Turkey-Switzerland duties for of uh, the Sport app on deadline duties, which we'll talk about a little bit later, um, I was watching this game, the Italy game, closely, and the moment for me that resonated, which I led with, was the celebrations to the opening goal and the camaraderie, the pile on after the goal as well and at the same time as Locatelli embracing I guess a player in Piscina who arguably was auditioning for his position I know clearly Locatelli's got runs on the board but in theory that's what it was and then Mancini the visual there while they were celebrating he was barking instructions to a couple of the senior players everything just looked in sync it looked right it looked like there was a really great buzz and it's almost time to say particularly given they're going to play either Austria or Ukraine it might be time to believe the hype
2: for sure well, I mean the, the Atsuri have sort of been the the star team of, of this group stage. I mean, that's I think that's unquestionable. When you look across, I mean, they haven't conceded a single goal. Mm. Pretty remarkable. But a thousand has, minutes now. And oh.
4: First team to do that, uh, win all three games and not concede a goal. Absolutely in insanity.
2: Stage. But um, I, I do agree with you, Dave. I think that the main thing that we've seen across this group stage, as impressive as the football has been, it's also been that just that feel-good factor around this squad. And I think that a lot of that comes from the sort of variety of clubs represented. It's not just the heavyweights this time around. This Italy squad, Roberto Mancini is sort of sampled around the Serie A, and there's there's a few different personalities, and I, your Locatelli and Berardi combination in that second game was obviously the big one. Um, there's uh, You've got Insigne, you've got Bellotti around the squad. There's a whole a whole lot of different, different clubs represented, and that's just sort of been representative of, of the sort of changing dynamics within Serie A itself
3: and well three players coming on and playing in this group stage from Sassuolo which says a lot about their season but also the fact that Mancini is rewarding players who can come through and perform like that at club level it was interesting again to quote John he said earlier this morning that he's been watching Italy since 1982 at every major tournament this is the best Italy he's ever seen at a tournament. They won in 2006 the World Cup. They haven't won the Euros in that time, but they've been in finals, mm. including Italia 90, where, you know, they were arguably the best team in that tournament. He says this is the best he's ever seen. I
4: was just going to say, you know, on the good vibes in the squad and that we're seeing in the, these celebrations, when they made their squad announcement and before the tournament and it was done in that kind of, you know, Australian Idol TV show thing, we all kind of took the piss out of them. But that was uh, part of the what Mancini's trying to build there is this really positive, fun environment. You know, it before they've talked about the national team being a concentration and, and they've had kind of, it's been a tough time for the players. The players are really enjoying it. And I think we're seeing that kind of on the field. It's done something to Paul Ocon, Dave,
0: because if
3: <laughs> if, if Mancini and a Gagapod legend, by the way, or oh, oh, legend full stop, Roberto Mancini's former teammate, of course, at Lazio, he, that energy that Mancini's sort of trying to implement in that squad, it's happening to Paul, the man
2: oh, management of yeah. Roberto Mancini is so good. It's extending it's to the Paul. Pundits. <laughs> well, and,
4: and this is how I think you can see it in the stands as well. And this is from a team that missed out in 2018 yeah. for the World Cup, and it was a disaster. It was a considered shameful, well, the darkest did. day to use a exactly. So it, uh, you know, a it's, turn phrase. <laughs> it's amazing what Mancini has done to turn it around. But they asked him, you know, this you've you've set the or you've equaled the record, 30 trophies. But he said. 30 trophies, 30 uh, games unbeaten. Maybe soon
2: if they keep going like this. Well,
4: And then he did say, he goes, well, yeah, it's great that we'll get this record, but the focus is I want to be on the list of Italian coaches who've won a major trophy, Mm. a Euro or a World Cup, and that is the focus. So, you know, we could see, I don't think so, but we could see, we've, we've seen it before, teams play great in the group stage, get to the knockout stage and
1: they're out. Look, they haven't been hugely tested yet, three poor teams, but the thing is, and I think now it's come up in a couple of episodes of the Gagging Pod, is the identity, what you do know about this Italy side is when they go into the next game, you know what, Th- their best eleven is going to be sport by depth, not by uncertainty, but when they step in, they're going to know what they're playing for, how they're playing, the tone that they're playing with, even the systems, and we saw today they've got a set piece, lick of paint to that as well, and to pick up on your point, Jake, as well, about the tone of the team, um, it's we don't watch Syria day in day out here. Opto, obviously, Premier League is the bread and butter up to sport. But every time I watched Syria, I was I was wildly entertained. And when you add the numbers up and the statistics up, it was an incredibly entertaining and kind of revitalized competition this year. And that has filtered down um, into the national team clearly.
2: Oh, for sure. Um, the thing that I that you pick up on there, Dave. I think the two things obviously from here. We're just heading out of the group stage now. It's tournament football. I think obviously you look at. Identity is 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 one of the big things, and I think there is no clearer team, more recognisable stylistically than Italy that we've seen so far. Um, and then the other thing is character, and we haven't we haven't really seen them tested, as you say. Um, I think. Obviously, the other contenders, uh, especially that Group F uh, and those as big teams in in the likes of of France and Portugal and Germany have been tested by each other. I look to Belgium and the way that they were tested by Denmark and Kevin De Bruyne's impact. I'm very intrigued to see if Italy have that player when they're under the pump who Mm. will step up and, and change a game. The only caveat to that is in both the first two games, they
1: did have to, I mean, obviously you have to break a deadlock in every game. That goes without saying. But they did have to find something just to switch a gear a little bit and get out of the, the rhythm, and they did do that on both occasions. But
3: they went on with it. And that's the key thing. They finish games really well and then they get to a game where they don't need to win it. They put almost everybody else in the squad in because they made five mm. changes, did Manchini during that game. It, so in terms of that fitness, they've got something that other teams yep. in this tournament don't have and the luxury of having rested key players heading into the knockout stage. So there probably aren't too many of the big guns that can say they're in as good a position, sort of fatigue and fitness-wise. Mm. The only other thing I would
2: bring up is, is, is the roam factor. And um, that they've played all their games at home from here, and they've sort of been buoyed by that crowd um, at home. And you got obviously it's been spoken about a few times throughout this group stage, a fair few players who, who play their football at the Stadio Olimpico and, and feel very at home there. So it'd be interesting to see as they as they move away. What happens there? And they do go to London, it looks like, for the
1: round of 16 game against, as I said, Austria or Ukraine. Now, Rich, we exploited a very big loophole in our pre-tournament predictions. I think that both of us had <laughs> Italy as dark horses. And so did Mark Schwarzer. And the technicality there is not an insult or our lack of knowledge of the history of world football, European football. It's that they were not at
3: the last World Cup. I think, I think we've played it beautifully <laughs> They last won the Euros in 1968, Dave. <laughs> yeah. So, what history are you talking about? No, like, you're right. And, you, I mean, my only justification was, well, they weren't at the last World Cup. They don't have the big star names pre-tournament. They probably will post. Mm. Yeah, even your Immobiles and Signers, yeah, they're big in Europe, they're big in Italy, but they're not necessarily big globally. But... Hey, it, it's like saying they'll win the tournament and getting it right. If they win the tournament, we got it right, Dave. So, we'll, you know, take it. You're making, you're making two tips there, Rich. You gave <laughs> <me> the system. <laughs> I, I will say it was better than tipping Turkey as your dark horse, which I did. So. <laughs> <laughs> but well. you do keep
2: reminding us that you backed Italy, though. Repeatedly, I must say.
3: It's, it's my only saving grace. <laughs> <laughs> it could have been worse. It could have been Mark Milligan. He tipped Turkey to win the whole thing. We have
2: to say that he was focused on
4: MacArthur's a <laughs> finals, and That's why he didn't, he didn't have enough research. I- and now that he's free of that, we're going to see him do much better tips from now on.
1: I did like Millsy's logic which has been it had been 18 months of completely you know unexpected events everywhere that there is going to be a twist in this tournament so i think
4: his theory was right maybe the wrong execution (laughs) and and we've seen in the past denmark has won it you know from not being qualified for the tournament being a late entrant greece obviously won in 2004 the great underdog story portugal in 2016 to me that was another come from nowhere victory
3: we don't yet know because we need to see what happens over the remainder of match day three but there's every chance that the most disappointing team in the tournament will be turkey 100 percent.
1: so nick
3: they've Whatever the opposite of graduate
1: is, they've gone like this in your estimation on the podcast from the dark horse to the translucent donkey to a 2D paper mache. What happens now that they're out?
4: Well, they're, they're a f- fragment of my imagination. Is not even they don't even a, an actual physical force. I need like a, a an astrophysicist to explain what this kind of whether they actually atoms of an actual thing. If they were a disaster, I say they are the catfish of the tournament. We were promised something; they did not deliver at all. We were promised a solid defensive side. They had, as John Aloisi said, one of the worst defenses in the competition. You could drive a bus through it. It was a disaster of a tournament for Turkey. And one thing to say, their coaches actually paid more than Roberto Mancini and the. Turkish media are letting him know.
1: Tell you what, we're going to get to that in just a few moments. To finish off this game, just I'm loath to disagree with that Paolo Ocon or John Aloisi, who both suggested that Locatelli comes back in for Verratti, which is the big talking point from this. Would it have any of you seen enough to think that Mancini will keep Verratti in the 11 given he was such a big part of the talking points coming into the tournament?
3: It was interesting that he played 90 minutes Verratti because coming back from fitness hasn't played since the semi-final of a Champions League has had ongoing fitness concerns as well before that injury. You would have thought he might have pulled him off the field at some point. Whether or not that makes an impact, he knows that he's not going to start him. I'm not sure, but we were all kind of surprised when we watched that game that he did play 90. I Personally, I'd be surprised if he brings him in for Locatelli. I mm-hmm. think it might be Barella if he does bring him in at all. Yeah, interesting. Stuff. Yeah.
4: I was just going to say, 136 touches, 103 accurate passes, five chances created. That's a really good 90 minutes. You know, if you're auditioning for the side, that's a big, I need to be in there. So it's a, it's a selection headache, a good one to have. But yeah, I think he's going to try and work for in there at some stage, and not for Locatelli, maybe for Barella. Mm, that's choice. That's good choice. Wales,
1: last word on Wales. Um, we mentioned Bale's chance. Big chance. Ramsey obviously cashed in at one point, almost on a defensive error. But that was really the heights that they hit, guys. Um,
3: Their prospects going forward, they're still a solid side. They just didn't create a hell of a lot today. You called them poor before, Dave. You said every other team in Group A was poor. You're backing down on that already. Did I say they were poor? You said every team was poor.
1: Oh, oh, in terms of the test for Italy. Right. No, in terms of the test for Italy. they haven't. Well, they didn't test them today. I don't think they did test them today. I thought a team that made eight changes was pretty comfortable for the duration.
3: Yeah, i I put it this way. Carl Robinson watching the game earlier on, he was a satisfied man because on paper the most difficult game in the group stage wasn't a complete blowout. There are extenuating circumstances. It wasn't the number one Italy side, but they did what they had to do and when they went down to 10 men when Ethan Ampadu was sent off, straight red, somewhat controversially. Hush. It was it was harsh. Yeah. It might have been an orange card potentially. Yeah. You can see why it's not a yellow, but you could see the look on the Welsh players' faces. It was harsh, but from that point, they defended pretty well without necessarily just putting everybody behind the ball. I don't think they're too bad, whether or not they go any further in the tournaments. Another matter though.
1: I still would be hard to beat. I think they're really competitive. I just I don't I don't change my thought there that. Italy, with eight changes, were were rather dominant. So we'll see what happens there. Two teams that go through. Switzerland, what I mentioned, we don't know whether they will go through because they're in third, and now they sit back and watch the cards fall over the rest of the week, and the group's deciding where four third-place sides go through, the best-performing third-place sides. So, Jake, you were watching this game closely, as I alluded to. What did you make of what you said was a really entertaining game?
2: Oh, yeah. Very, very entertaining. 42 shots in this game. That's the most ever in a group stage game at the Euros. And uh, it was a fun one. It, it really was. I mean, Turkey, what what can you say about them? As, as Nick alluded to earlier, just, just unquestionably the disappointment of the tournament for mine. They finished as statistically the fifth worst team in Euros history. Um, what, what does that mean? So that means, so they ended with no points and a goal difference of negative eight. So four teams in history have finished with no points and negative... Oh, uh, no, they negative seven, and four teams have done negative eight. So that's where they sit all time. So no
3: one's done worse than that?
2: No, that's that's statistically worse. So they're, as in those four teams who are one goal difference worse than them, and then and then them. Um, but this morning, they just, look, they're the youngest squad in the entirety of the tournament. True. And I think that must be taken into account. And there's going to be a big future for this Turkey team, um, as Günes uh, alluded to post-game, but he also... Mm. was sorry. <laughs> he was, no, he not was a very big future sorry. for him. Not a big no, future no. for him. Although he's, a, he's obviously a, a legend. Past, he's a big past, not a big future. Yeah, he's a legend yeah. for the, what, he, what he achieved back in 2002. Um, but I just, the naivety defensively, which is obviously such a shame because they were such a good tight defense heading into, uh, basically in qualifying and today they just didn't put any pressure on the ball and it was just, it was so easy to the point that in the 55th minute, even though the score was 2-0, the commentators on Optus Sport were saying if this were a boxing match they'd be throwing in the towel.
4: <laughs> and, I did just say as well. One thing, kind of, we, you know, obviously I tipped him as a dark horse and all that. But I was reading a bit today about Turkish football is in a bit of a shambles uh, domestically, and maybe that's had an impact on the team. You know, we always kind of make fun of the the Turkish Super League because, um, you know, they bring those old Premier League players, they, they put them on big contracts and stuff like that. You see their lineups, and there's players who were, you know, great in the Premier League five years ago. That's actually caused quite a lot of problems in terms of their finances. A lot of the uh, big three clubs are in debt. That's had some issues there. So you know, and obviously they've got the Erdogan situation. There's a lot of political, there's conspiracy theories going on in Turkey. Some teams are being favoured, some teams are not. It might have, might have caused a, a bit of issues for a young team.
3: Hats off to Switzerland, though, because when you look at their side on paper, it is a really strong outfit. Mm. They've got the Munch and Gladbach mm. connection there. Jan Sommer's been really good in goal. And in this game, Shakiri found space. And when Shakiri finds space... He can do anything. We saw that today. He scored two great goals. One with the right, one with the left and whilst the one with the right from outside the box will be the Specky, the one from the left was unbelievable because the ball bobbled and he adjusted so quickly. Great finish and you go back five years he scored that overhead kick in you know round of 16. He can do it on the big stage and if he's given the opportunity, there's no reason why Switzerland can't go into the next round and actually go further and further again because they, they are quite solid. Steven Zubar with three assists. We know that Xhaka, if he decides to pass forward, can be effective as well. They've got a good enough team to go a lot further in. Absolutely, and Shakiri is one of three players
4: to have scored in the 2014 World Cup, mm. the Euro 2016, the 2018 World Cup, and now this year, Ronaldo, Perisic, Lukaku. So it's a pretty good um, you know, company to be in. Uh, he, he's one of those players who... Like, he rehabs his own reputation every tournament.
1: It's a tournament player. It wouldn't be a Euros without a Shakiri Masterclass at some point for Switzerland. You mentioned those players, one player you didn't mention who up until, pro- well, in match day one was arguably the performance, individual performance at that stage, Brie Mbolo. I mentioned it was a journalistic smorgasbord on this episode of The Gagging Pod. We've got some insight from James McNicholas from The Athletic in the UK who picked out Brie Mbolo's performance in this game. And interestingly, Rich, compared him to the way Marcelo Bielsa uses a Leeds player. And Bolo put in a really interesting performance. Uh, he played ostensibly as a kind of a forward as you would expect, but really he was dropping deep into midfield, um, playing kind of a box-to-box role, playing short passes in there next to Freuler and Shaka, um, and really sort of causing a distraction for the Turkish team. They didn't quite know what spaces he was going to pick up and consequently they found him difficult to handle. We saw against Wales how athletic, how dangerous he can be. But this was a really interesting tactical deployment, not unlike what Marcello Bielsa's lead sides have done with Rodrigo, you know, someone who's ostensibly a number nine, dropping deep into midfield, taking up dangerous positions there. And I actually think it added some verticality to the Swiss game. You know, it gave them a uh, power and athleticism in the middle of the pitch that in someone like Granit Xhaka, they don't necessarily have. Yeah, Imbolo, impressive player, a bit of a joker in the pack for Switzerland, who are a team that, as you say, have pedigree, have a lot of quality. You don't normally associate them with glitz and glamour. A Flair football but Mbolo has the ability to take the game by a scruff of the neck. What did
3: you make of that reference to your team Rich, Leeds United? Well it's an interesting one because Rodrigo never really got going across the season but when you saw the flashes, a player that you would think is an out and out nine and for the national team has been that Rodrigo but Bielsa looks at him and goes no that he's a 10, he can drop deeper yet still be that really clinical goal scorer that you would expect and Mbolo you can see that, you can see that he's going to be around for a long time and he can give you a bit of everything and that front three, I mean to Ferovic has obviously at times been you know, somewhat criticised for the national team. He popped up with the opener in this one. But those front three, including Shakiri, there's no reason when they rotate and they find those spaces, they can't be as damaging.
2: I want to talk about that front three, though, because Mbolo was was impressive this morning. Obviously, it was a bit of the Shakiri show at times. He, I think he had seven shots, created a bunch of chances as well. But going into this game the likes of Seferovic and Shakiri were being criticised enormously. People were wondering what they were doing in the eleven, essentially, after the two games. And they both silenced those doubts in this game massively. I've got to say, they were given a lot of space and a lot of time by Turkey, like afforded very much the freedom to do what they will. Um, but they were good. And I've got to say, Seferovich's strike was completely out of nothing. And to that point, Turkey had had literally more shots in the opening four minutes than they managed in their entire opener against Italy. So they were looking good to start out with. Flew out of the gates, and then Safarovic went bang, and then Xhaka took control, and, and Switzerland uh, flew from there. Well, the lottery
1: of the third-place team, is not only do you not know if you're going to get through, you also don't know who you're going to play. So there's a couple of paths they can take, and that makes it quite interesting. Do you guys like it? I've, there's, it's really interesting watching the, the UK press in particular talking about the 2014 format. Um, you look at the, the the lottery that it creates now, but it also, it's just... It's just kind of weird. I'm still getting used to it myself. Everybody gets a
3: prize at this tournament, that, yeah. except Turkey. Everybody gets a prize, <laughs> except Turkey. I've been doing a bit of research on old tournaments, you know, digging up some stuff for the euro Brecky wrap, And it's a reminder when you look at, oh, that's right, that really good team finished third. The cutthroat nature of previous tournaments when there were only 16 teams, before that 12, before that 8... It's something that you need in tournaments. You need those big dogs to go home early. And the fact that there will be sides that go into the last 16 that we all look at and go, well, oh, they're not that good, is actually kind of disappointing. I mean, the confusing aspect of it is kind of funny that nobody knows who's playing who where. That's fine. But it's hard to explain to people that aren't football mm. followers. And it almost it makes people just want to tune in almost from the round of 16 or quarterfinals onwards. I
4: was just going to say, it's a lot of games to be played to just eliminate eight teams from 24. You know, you're going through a lot of games. It's the same with the Copa America. They're playing all these group games to eliminate two teams from the from the group stage. So, yeah, I don't love it. And I think, I think you, you get the added kind of d- dynamic, the drama, when you have that kind of the third. You have mm. to win your second game, basically, if you lose your first game, when you're going to be, when only two teams get through. But, yeah, I, I think it, it's not great. I do like
1: the fact that coming to match day three, you have the scenario situation where everyone's looking to see who has to do what, but it's a little bit of conflicted drama for the sake of it.
3: But it can also create a situation where teams both play knowing a draw's fine. And if Ukraine-Austria yeah. is not nil all tomorrow, I'll eat my hat. this <laughs> is a I, podcast, I do point out Rich so. is not currently wearing a hat. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's because I ate my last one. I do make <laughs> fairly awful predictions, but... On paper, you look at it. Remember France, Denmark in the World Cup uh, 2018? I happened to be in the stadium for that. and Jim Proudfoot, the commentator in the UK, he was sitting just in front of me. He turned around to us probably 80 minutes in and said, I've never done this before in my life. I'm leaving. He wasn't commentating at the time.
2: <laughs> I imagine that. He
3: was just watching the game. But everybody, the collective groans because once you realise yeah. two teams, oh they don't oh they don't need a result. Why are we watching this? I'm not saying definitely that'll be the case with Ukraine, Austria, but it could be. No. If they speak to each other and go, a Points enough, why would they play? In,
4: in Italy they call it a biscotti, yeah.
3: a little biscotti for everyone. Which you could
1: and again, we want we want the next four days to be absolutely fabulous fair, but by the time you get to Group E and Group F, you might know the maths of what you need to get through as a third place team as well. So that's probably a little bit unfair as well. Although, uh, as Tony Harper, our, our, one of our reporters doing the overnight for us, looked at, he said, imagine if they played all 12 Euro last day games at the same time,
4: that would be, I'd love that it. That would and be I'd madness. Love it. Yeah. That would be madness. Last day, Premier League season vibes. Yeah, I, I think it's good. At the same time, you know, we had the game today with Switzerland-Turkey, which had the most shots in group stage history. So, let, you know, there's going to be some games which are just end-to-end basketball games, all transition, mm. and there will be some games that are a little more on the france Denmark.
1: And the, and the last point of that for me is, is actually the old-school Euros, which is actually where I really fell in love with, like, elite football. The difference it had to the World Cup, where you, you're bringing the whole world together, is the Euros was the World Cup's that party, the Global Showcase, but the Euros, that's another level. That's where the big guns come together and the big guns get eliminated early. So it does lose that kind of feel to it as well. But nevertheless, we're going to talk about the stakes going forward because that's what we're dealing with right now. And going into uh, tomorrow's fixtures, where the Group B goes on the line, this one's intriguing because just like Denmark's coach and a lot of Denmark's fans, a lot of us here are thinking we are bewildered that The Danes are on zero points. Obviously, they had to confront extraordinary circumstances in their first game when they went down 1-0. But against Belgium, they were elite in the first 45 minutes and didn't come away with a point because of Kevin De Bruyne's heroics. So 4.30 a.m. pre-game coverage on Tuesday morning, Australian Eastern Standard Time, into the simultaneous games at 5 a.m. Finland against Belgium, Russia against
4: Denmark. What happens? Uh, I would... You would definitely say that Belgium is going to beat uh, Finland, even with the rotations, because of the the depth that they have. Um, but then it becomes Denmark. I think Denmark will beat Russia. I've actually been impressed with Denmark. I know they're on zero points. They create a lot of chances. You know, they just need someone maybe better than Martin Braithwaite to finish them off. But uh, I think Denmark will win. It could be a we could see all teams equal on three points, and then it becomes a, a headache to do Get all these maths.
1: Calculator and the abacus out and start moving the puzzle pieces around because it gets that tight. And if you're looking for the equations explained. I did take the calculator yesterday afternoon for the Opta Sport app, and I do have the permutations and equations laid out. If you want to have a look, I can't guarantee they make any sense, but they are there if you want to try have a crack.
2: The Mad Professor was firmly at work yesterday at Opta Sport. He was he was plugging away. I tell you, it's all done. The maths is all done. I've read it. It's perfect. But I think I think this could be an interesting morning. I mean, obviously, this morning we only had a couple of games, and it was the old no sleep uh, no sleep fest here at Opta Sport. The old two a.m. kickoffs, but we got we got four games tomorrow, and and I, I think. I agree. I think, I think Denmark are so unlucky. They, they have looked great. They really, really have. And they've got, they've got quality everywhere. And I think as good as Russia have been at times, and they haven't been great, they sort of scrape by, I, I do think that they'll get the job done. Uh, and I think Belgium, I mean, again, you look at their squad, even though they somehow have Christian Benteke just lurking around their squad. I don't know how he's, I don't know how he's at the Euros, <laughs> considering his Premier League form. <laughs> but I think Belgium, no matter what team they put on the
3: pitch, I think will get the job done here, surely. Russia aren't great away from home. They'll set up probably with a back five. They'll be super negative because for them, a point will be enough. They traditionally aren't good somewhere where they need to go and get a result like that, so they'll shut up shop. Denmark have been good. Well, they were good certainly in the second game. Moment of the tournament, just about for me, was when Yusuf Poulsen scored so early against Belgium and the crowd, the noise, Mm. the atmosphere there was something special. The Danes will create that again, you would think, with progression on the line for them the question's going to be with that lack of firepower up top when they do create quite a bit through midfield they don't have that striker Braithwaite, Paulson. can they do the job Dan guards Youngs, maybe they're not quite there yet can they break Russia down I think that'll be the story of this gun I'll just say this is the
4: official line from UEFA. If Denmark, Russia and Finland all finish on three points behind Belgium on nine, so that's Denmark to win tomorrow and Finland to lose, they'll be split on goal difference from matches between those three teams, so disregard their results against Belgium. Again, calculators,
2: abacus, yeah. let's work it all out. So
1: Denmark, that, in conclusion, Denmark can finish second, but we're going to have to be good at maths to work it out on the day.
2: <laughs> we're going to need another crack team of reporters, Dave, to get to the bottom of this one.
1: <laughs> in a nutshell, I do think Denmark will beat Russia. It'll be tight, tight tight affair, and Belgium should get the job done against Finland, and then we're up into the laps of the mathematical gods. After that, or oh, sorry, before that, I should say, is the, the match you alluded to a bit earlier, Rich, which well, is... We don't need to talk about it again.
3: <laughs> you know what I think about
2: it. <laughs> well, just to explain why
1: that's the case, Netherlands are the only team that are officially top the group coming into the final match day. So they've got the job done, and North Macedonia will be looking there to try and get something special, a point from their um, maiden Euros uh, campaign. Then it's Ukraine-Austria, where... Basically, But Austria to come second, this is the thing, though, is Austria to guarantee themselves a passage need to win because you look at even when we're talking about Denmark, if they finish with a win and finish third, I think there's going to be a team on three points that does miss out from third place.
3: Yeah, but Austria, if they get a point, they'll end up with four points. No team with four points is going to miss out realistically. It's still possible. I know Pythagoras, which is what you like to be called off air, Dave. <laughs> there's you know. more angles to this than Pythagoras. I'm confused now. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. It, it can happen that they can draw. A team can finish on four and not go through. It's just super unlikely. Ukraine, though, and I've you know, been somewhat negative about this game, Ukraine's attacking players, yeah. they're great. I mean, Yeromchuk's going to get a big boo at some point. You would think, Yarmolenko's yeah, come out and said, I want out of West yeah. Ham, I want something new. Uh, Malinovsky's been somewhat disappointing. i still waiting for him to hit a long-range bomb because that's his thing for Atalanta. But they do have enough players to go and, and be dangerous to an Austrian side who, as we know, mentioned before, a little bit too... A little bit too reliant on uh, David Alaba. But, you know, both teams, they're going to be happy with the
4: point. Just on Malinovsky, uh, Danny Vukovic played with him at uh, Genk in Belgium. And he said Malinovsky has the best shot he's ever seen. So that's what we're kind of looking for. One of those long-range 30-yard goals. And it might happen tomorrow.
1: I think uh, Ukraine in fits and starts have shown some really good attack and I think they will win against Austria tomorrow and I think that will bring the sort of the the third place lottery or bingo, whatever we're going to call it, back into life going through the next couple of days.
2: I'd love to see if if Austria somehow get knocked out tomorrow or... <clears throat> in the coming days, I'd love to see what David Alibus says about, says about the coach. <laughs> when it's done, he's been uh, stuck back there in the centre of defence. <laughs> Clearly the most technically gifted player that Austria have. The best player they've probably ever had. And he's uh, kind of being wasted out there. He said, sort of hinted that he's not really happy playing that position. I think if, uh, if, if they get knocked out and uh, the coach falls on his sword, which he surely will, uh, provided they don't get through. Alaba could go off. It'd be like us playing
1: Richard Bayless on mute, which I'm just going
4: to do now and roll it down
1: for the next (laughs) 10 minutes.
4: (laughs) Just say on David Alaba, one of the things I really liked finding out about in this tournament is that his mum is a Filipino beauty queen and his dad is a literal Nigerian prince who also doubles as a DJ. So, what is a literal prince? Like, you know, not the one that sends you an email (laughs) asking for money. Like an actual, like legitimately part of the Nigerian royal family, his dad is part of it. David Alba comes from that royal thing. So maybe that's, you know, where he gets maybe that uh,
3: confidence, let's say. Also shows a bit of everything. He can play in any position. He can do anything he wants.
2: And I've got no follow-up to that fact. That's, I just wanted to point out that, that Nigerian Prince slash DJ is probably the greatest resume I have ever heard in my life. That's right. I want to see it on LinkedIn. Let's
1: have <laughs> uh, Gents, it's been good fun as ever and for anyone just wondering how the rest of the week plays out, on Wednesday, you've got the Czech Republic, England, Croatia, Scotland group where Czech Republic play England, Croatia play Scotland. That is the breakfast game, the 5 a.m. game with coverage starting from 4.30 a.m. Eastern and then Thursday is a massive one because it's those two groups we spoke about on yesterday's Gag and Pod, Group E and Group F, Slovakia play Spain Sweden play Poland and Green Group F of course Portugal play France and Germany play Hungary they are back to back on Thursday morning we can't wait for that but we'll preview that in due course on the Gaga. But just before we wrap up um Rich obviously we haven't had you on the podcast so far but it's been what a week of just 24 hour day rolling Euros coverage how have you enjoyed it and talk about just the I guess to give our listeners an insight just to how um insane and intense this competition has been for us at Opto sport with just our, how, how much we've thrown into it uh, to
3: bring the coverage to, to the viewers, listeners and readers? Well, it's been intense, but it's probably been intense for, for months and maybe a couple of years as well after the false start in 2020. I forgot what year we we're talking about. Like to get ready to this point, because of course, what happens in Europe is different to what happens in the studio. And once you've got digital, social, live, linear, whatever it is, everything all combined, it's a you know a lot of moving parts at any one time. So it's it is a 24-hour operation. We're on air at silly times, and people out there watching that we appreciate them having you know us on their screens at whatever time of night. There is a daytime operation to it as well because of the European side. I mean, we've got three or four crews over there at any one point. Paul Ocon, we mentioned before is you know making pasta and pizza but someone's got to send him to make pasta and pizza well, and no, it's exactly. really- he needs to stay fed and it's uh, <laughs> nice of him to put it on camera but we have got Max Merrill doing surfing and Oktoberfest and all this stuff guys in Glasgow guys in London Ollie Giel just not sleeping for weeks there's a lot that goes into it so whilst we're tired and the viewers are tired I know the people that are around Europe are putting in big big shifts Adriano Del Monte's been everywhere I'm starting to see he's not cracking <laughs> is <it>? he's, a, <laughs> he's a marathon man but he's starting to just mention oh Yeah, pretty tired. Come on, mate, you can get through it. So, you know, I think it's been, it has been a lot of fun. I think it's been a good tournament. It's always nice when the group stage is is exciting because you know that the best is yet to come. And the effort and the energy you're trying to look for is worth finding because when you have football of that quality, it'll always be good fun. I think everyone's having a good time. Hopefully, the viewers are enjoying the matches and the way we're doing it as well. And of course, you guys on the pod also doing a great job. Thank you. Trying
1: our very best to just keep everyone. And what I love about it is we're covering the punters and the fans from every angle. If you don't have time, if unfortunately like us, you don't have the time to sit there and watch 12 hours of football because you've actually got a, a real job, you can listen about it, you can watch the mini matches, highlights, read about it, take your, your, your snippets of it, whatever it may be. So it's fantastic stuff. And the, the best part is it's simmering and
4: mm.
3: to the really nice climax over the next couple of weeks. The too. serious
4: business is about to yeah. begin.
3: Well, the only serious business, by the way, I was going to say, a group of pundits working on this thing, they're all just obsessed with their predictor. Uh, the predictions league we've got it up to Sports, there's about 250 people in it. Neve Owens has been top for the last couple of days, and she's the most smug person around. <laughs> so you've got everybody off air. Just what What did Neve pick? What's Neve doing? <laughs> oh, I got that one wrong. Oh, I got that one wrong. Oh. <laughs> and no one's focusing on the games. It's all this predictor league at the moment. If anyone
1: thinks anything here is contrived, like when Thomas Sorensen was riding the end of, I can't remember a game, but it was coming down to goal difference, and the the cameras were on live, he didn't know. If anyone thinks that was contrived, it absolutely was. Yeah. And he was riding every second of it, and our very smart producer was like, Let's get the camera rolling here and make sure we get every bit of emotion from it. So we never lose that joy here at Up to Sport, Gents, thanks so much for your time today. Another a quiet day, but just a, I guess a calm before the storm with a couple of big days ahead. Nick, Rich, Jake, thanks so much. And we'll see you soon. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Thanks, good, Dave. Good stuff. And to everyone out there as ever, or as I say, more than ever at the moment, until the next episode of The and Pod, enjoy your football.